Hi. You are listening to Mobile Couch, and this is a show where we talk about mobile development. That is, develop for mobile devices, as opposed to development in other mobile situations, although you could include that as well. I think that joke has probably run itself to death, but <laughs> you know, I keep think? telling it. Well, I, I also, I, I, it, it helps stop me from doing the jelly and bean intro, which is too similar in some ways. And I keep, I keep accidentally nearly going into it. You know what we need? Intro music. People have mentioned that. You've mentioned that. Mostly by people, I mean you. Okay. <laughs> Podcasts I listen to that have music, I find myself whistling the theme all the time. I'll be like walking yeah, through I the sing supermarket along to the doing ATP the... Um, one. Yeah. And I whistle the... So, I sing ATP and then I whistle uh, core intuition. We we do need one, <laughs> but I don't I don't have the time or effort. I, ha- I don't have the to, skills. I'm like, I got nothing. Source one. Anyway. Jelly and Bean had a great one. I missed that. I missed that intro. It was great. This show is hosted by Jake McMullen. Hello. And Ben Trangrove. Happy New Year. Indeed. And myself, Jelly, a.k.a. Daniel Farrelly. And is supported by our awesome Patreon patrons. patrons. <laughs> That's the one. Yeah. And and I I still can't believe that. Thank you for everyone who um has decided to support us. It's it is awesome. very helpful. Did, did did you see my tweet the other day? I did. They're they're actually now completely paying for our hosting. That's fantastic. Anything after this is profit. Sorry, so no, we're I profitable. Mean, we're going to be acquired at any moment. <laughs> <laughs> yep, we're making millions of dollars a century, maybe. Oh Even a century is probably optimistic. <laughs> This is episode number 48, and uh, this is the first one for the year. For 2015. It is. Happy New Year to everyone. Happy New Year. If it is you know, New Year for you. Yeah. For most people, I believe it is. But I guess it depends on your calendar. I guess it depends on a lot of things, but mm. yes, mostly your calendar. Um, did you guys have a nice break over the festive season? Did you take time off? I did. Nice. I did too. <laughs> Excellent. It was good. I still did, you know, I did stuff, but, you know, I, I took a break and did stuff, but we'll talk about that. We can talk about that in a minute. Sure. Why don't we do follow-up first? Because we have some follow-up. From, we do. From from, know, la- from last year. From last year. It's like it's like years ago. A couple of people, at least, at least two people, tweeted at us to let us know about target membership in relation to extensions. So last episode we discussed extensions. Or the one prior. Last episode. Last episode. Yes, it yeah, was, it was last definitely. episode. Yeah. I was talking about how I was trying to determine whether or not I could do iOS seven and extensions. Yes. And I was saying that I may have to drop iOS seven in order to do extensions properly. Yeah. One of the things that I kind of mentioned but didn't really actually get into and didn't mention by name was target membership, which is a way of essentially it's so all of your classes the header files are included in the target in a target bundle uh you can actually select a bunch of different bunch of different bundles for header files and stuff to go into and so what you can essentially do is a class can be actually uh assigned to multiple different bundles which means that you can actually have an extension as a target and then uh your main app as a target and a class can actually be 
uh, included in both. So you can write one class that does whatever job, mm. and then it's in both your extension and your app. Yeah, and I had forgotten that when we discussed it last time, and I thought to have your code in both your extension yeah. and your app meant having two copies of it, which is entirely nuts. Uh, you don't. You only need one copy, and if you include both targets, include it, membership it of is, both it targets. Does, it does duplicate the code eventually. Like, compile time. Yeah. It's it, not, it, you're not duplicating the class files that you're your dealing source. with. Yeah. It does duplicate across the t- targets you yeah. included in. Um, at least... Both people that wrote in explained that they were using this is the method that they're using to put uh, extensions into their apps while still supporting seven. While still yep. supporting seven. Um, interestingly, if you wanted to use frameworks in iOS eight, would target membership allow you to have a class that was part of wow the extension target, the framework target, and the app target? But why would you want need a framework if you're just keeping it in a ta- if you just Putting it directly into the... So you'd have it in the framework and the extension. No, it wouldn't work. But why would you need that? Like if you're only going to... If you're only going to use the the framework in the app app itself, and then you wouldn't be able to use that, the app itself on iOS 7 because frameworks... It's interesting. So So what do frameworks offer that you can't already get through target membership? Well, the frameworks are... This is part of the reason why I, I did mention it so i looked into it when i when i first sat down because it's just a thing in the side mm. utilities pane for i can't remember what it's called in the on the right hand side when you've got a class file open you can actually see the like little check boxes with all yeah. your targets yeah. and so your header file will actually be checked for your app main app target right yeah. and implementation files too yeah uh, i don't think they're checked in that they it's just the header file the the h file H. You wouldn't know you've been running Swift for too long. Yeah, it's true. Uh, what, you mean you have two separate <laughs> files? <for> so, <laughs> it's because a framework copies the headers and builds the object files. Yeah, it builds Depends a, on what you're it looking builds at. a .o file. So if you look at, if you open your project settings and go to compile sources, that one's only your M files. Right. If yeah. you've got a framework, it needs to know which header files to copy in yeah. to the public folder bit. So Two separate windows. Adding adding the target membership, like adding a class to multiple targets in that target membership thing, mm. basically means that when your app compiles or your ex- and your extension or all your targets compile, mm. it's essentially including a building f- for each of those those targets. Yeah, yeah. Uh, commonly used for including a class in your test target as well as your indeed app target. Um, I did look into it. That was one of the first things that I did. Part of the reason that I decided not to go with it is because it still introduces kind of a spaghetti situation. You're essentially like the target membership thing is really kind of off to the side and easily ignored. And I think a lot of the times I'm going to run into problems where I'm I'm going to have uh, I'm I'm not going to see that it's you know included not included in a particular target. It's going to be kind of out of mind. That's part of the reason why I didn't yeah. do it. Frameworks um, feel cleaner, like it's frameworks a whole... feel a lot cleaner. Yeah, uh, because you include it in a, in a framework, and then you basically uh, you know include the framework in in whatever yeah. bundles you yeah. need. It also means that you can have a, pu- a proper public API to a framework, um, so you can have a you can kind of structure your framework properly. Whereas yeah. with a target membership, you've got class files, and it's essentially 
it, treating it like an internal mm. thing. Um, and on top of that, like I've got, I've got basically the idea that I've the, the multiple extensions that I am going to be including are going to have a variety of different uh, requirements for classes. So do I just include the classes that I don't even need because it's cleaner to be able to mm. like it's cleaner for my brain to keep it keep mm. it straight? Uh or is it going to be a um is it gonna be a thing where, you know, I, I just include the ones that I need um because it's cleaner on the actual app side? Hmm. Good question. Um and which which kind of brings brings it around to this whole idea of target membership can be used, and if you're going to target iOS seven, then I guess you kind of have to use it. Um, whether or not it's good for my particular situation or for the situation of other people really depends on uh, you and how you treat your future self. Hmm. Because um, if you think your future self can handle the idea that there are like this spaghetti of uh, classes included in various different targets, then you know, go go right ahead. I, I mean, nobody can stop you. I mean, they probably could reject you, but I don't think they're going to do that. No, yeah, it seems like it's a legit way to it's do it. It's a legit way of doing it. I certainly like the sound of frameworks better. I wish, I look forward to when I can just do iOS eight. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I I, I think in regards to target membership, it's an option. You'd go there for and and therefore use it if if it's so. Uh, if it feels right for you personally, I don't think it's right for me. And yeah, I'm going to. So you're going to go eight only for the update that includes. I'm probably going to go eight only. There you go. So whether or not I that think means, that's a good idea. Yeah. yeah. I, I think that part, and I think part of the reason is, is because uh, I'm going to go eight only eventually. Right. Yeah. And doing, um, I, I don't plan on, on supporting seven forever. And in fact, this was basically going to be the last yeah. build that I support seven for. So I do I do a target membership thing now and then completely reverse it and then put it into like put it all into a framework and do it properly? Or do yeah. I just do it properly the first time around? The end result is I, I have I think I figured out that I have about twenty five or twenty percent of my users, my daily active users use iOS seven. Right. That's still a fair chunk. Still a chunk. fair chunk. But they've got the app and they can continue to use they it. They can continue to use it. Yeah. So. Yeah. It's interesting. Uh, I think when making these sorts of decisions, uh, it's obviously really complex. If you, if, if you as an individual developer can make the decision on your own, I'd be so tempted to just support the latest platform as soon as possible. Yeah. Because really, you've got to think, you're writing this code to release at some point in the future. Yep. To maintain some point further in the future than that. Yep. So by the time you're like, yeah, before you know it, iOS 9 will be here. Right. Um, And then you'll be supporting 8 and 9. So it's not like... um, And that's the thing. Like yeah. 9 is what? Six months, seven months away? Right. And, and probably. when's the earliest you might release this, you know? In like maybe, I don't know. Any time in the next three months, yeah, let's okay. say. So, so you're looking at it's getting very close. Like it's yeah. it's kind of, kind of cutting very close, and I'm probably going to cut off iOS seven after this build anyway. So maybe what I maybe what I'm going to do, it's very possible I will release a step release which has all the kind of fixes that I've included uh, in the current build, which doesn't have extensions. Mm. 
um, finish that off, release it as a kind of interim yeah. uh, build, uh, interim 1.1, and then go with, uh, go for another version with mm. extensions built in. That sounds good. Who knows? It's interesting that um, Android seems to take a completely different approach to this, mm. I think says the guy with very, very limited Android experience. Although... <laughs> you tell me whatever you like and I'll believe it because I don't know anything. Since we last spoke, I've shipped uh, an update to an Android app. Wow. For, I, uh, is, did you know I shipped an update what? to an Android app once? <laughs> I did. I didn't actually write anything for it. I, I wrote... Is um, that the one I wrote? <laughs> yeah, this one you wrote. And you sh- and I asked you for a new build and you gave it to me. And then oh, I then put, it, put on it on the Play Store. <laughs> um, I, actually wrote, I actually wrote two lines of code. Um Wow, and then spent two days trying to figure out how to uh, build it. What what those what oh, those two lines yeah. of code meant? No, no, I knew what the code meant. It <laughs> did what I wanted it to do. I was Jake feeling... used to be a Java developer. Yeah, yeah I was I all over this. I, mm. I, I was feeling supremely confident until I got to the whole bit of trying to build yeah, I, the code base. I, I couldn't even figure that out. I learned a really valuable lesson though. Um, you know, in the iOS ecosystem, if you ever lose your private key, you kind of go, "Well, that was silly." I'll just now I have to revoke my certificates and reissue new certificates yep. and make sure that whenever I submit updates, I use the new ones. And it's a bit of a pain. Yep. So with Google Play, that isn't an option. If you lose your private key, you're screwed. You cannot update the app. Right. So um, this was a client project. I won't talk, I won't <laughs> go into that many details. But wow. They didn't have their private key. Oh. It was a bit. It was. It's quite difficult. a liability for the agencies. Like in the past, I've had to say, like, "This is your key. You cannot lose this file. I'm. I don't have the responsibility for keeping this file, although I do. But like, right. just yeah, in you case don't want. You don't want to tell people that. Don't worry. Don't worry about keeping it. I'm just going to keep a copy, and you can always come and get it off. Yeah. Of me. Yep. Yep. Um. Anyway, so I did. Where was I going with that? Android. <laughs> Backwards compatibility with older versions. So obviously Android is a completely different ecosystem because uh, you were saying about 20% of your daily active users are on 7. 7, 80% are on the latest version. I don't know that the same would be true of Android. So I think there are more likely to be users on older versions. So the problem of supporting older versions is more common. But I think the approach there is that you could still use features in the new SDK and what Google does is it backports. So it provides yeah, that's right. libraries you can link your app against. Support libraries, they're called. Yeah, that'll add that functionality so that when your app is installed on an older version of the OS, right, your app can still use the new APIs. So they become oh. bundled in kind of to your app. Right. Um, so if you're on a new OS, it uses the system implementation. If you're on an old OS, it uses the kind of bundled in implementation that you've linked against. Right. Um, yeah, that seems kind of I nice. have to look up the there's got to be some disadvantage because when you write them there's you can either link it against the support library. So there's two libraries, there's the native proper SDK and then there's these support libraries. And the recommended advice is just to always use the support one because if you ever choose to backport then you're you're set. If you use that plain SDK, you can't use that feature on an old version. So wouldn't there be So what's the disadvantage? Well, wouldn't there be like, slight differences in not necessarily the API, but the the behavior of the API? Like, possibly going to be ever, but that like, would be API gonna... dependent. Yeah, yeah, it, it's probably. Complex. I think maybe it bloats your 
Oh, app? I almost certainly would. But yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah, it's not that. I, bad, like, I don't though. know enough about it to get into it either. But I just, I guess, I noted that that was an option on Android, whereas mm. that's not an option on no. iOS. It's really, really clear. You want to use something that was introduced in eight, then your app, you, you, you know, you target eight. You target eight. Um, you can still use. You could write this kind of crazy, crazy code that lets you that where you detect the version of iOS, uh, of iOS that you're running yeah. on, and, and then use different use strategies different for, each for each platform. Each different platform. The way that I kind of tend to uh, tend to handle that, and actually, I, I tweeted about this not not that long ago, uh, because I've never I, I've never until a few weeks ago ever written a line of code for iOS that says if this is the version then oh yeah do this. i saw that yeah i've never written that i did it just the other day so the example was uh i'm doing an in-app message to tell people about the need for location services right and i detect the os version and if on ios 8 i provide a button that says tap here to go there now yep um, and I use the iOS 8 API that lets you go to the app's entry in the settings app. See, I have that too in, in the new version of GIF Wrapped. But go. you know how I do it? I don't do it by detecting whether or not I'm on iOS 8. I do it do it by detecting whether that uh, that call is available. That call is available. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I think I basically do... Oh, I can't remember exactly. But I do basically something along the lines of if this is set, then then we can... We'll open that. Yeah. We can provide this this option in the settings panel. Yeah. But the problem that I had was, uh, and we're getting so far off topic. The problem that I had had was that I was um, in GIF wrapped search. I I add a little throbber over the um little activity indicator. Sorry, over the uh over the little search icon when it's actually doing a search mm. just because partially because i like the look of it and it also means that i'm not having to add something to the main screen area mm. so you can always see that when it's active mm. um in ios 7 there was a specific like it it kind of is just set to a specific spot um over the top of the the url the search bar um in ios 8 that changed the actual position that it needed to be in changed mm. And there was no, uh, like, I, I tried things like deter- detecting whether or not there was some sort of margin or uh, or content inset or, uh, you know, spacing between mm. various, you know, the edge of the uh, search bar and the edge of the screen and nothing had changed. And so That's I spent bizarre. like, I spent like five hours looking at this code that, like trying these various different things to try and figure it out and do it mathematically and couldn't do it, so I had to write something for iOS eight and for iOS seven to get it to sit in the same spot on both, <laughs> and it made me sad. Yeah, I can understand that. It made me very sad. I've never had to write that before. The worst one at the moment is supporting both um, rotations because it changed so much between seven and eight, and there's like yeah. four methods, and two of them are called on eight, and two of them are called on seven, and they pretty. But much at least do they the do some thing. sort of. They do a little bit of backwards compatibility there. Surely, I'm pretty sure that they do. You can still call the old ones; they're just deprecated. Maybe you can call them yourselves. These are like the, you know, did rotate to interface orientation and stuff. It's not called anymore. I had to write two code paths: one to support rotation on seven, and one to support rotation on eight. And they pretty much did the same thing with subtle differences, which also meant I couldn't just like call a method from both of the delegate methods. I had to sort of change it in just a tiny bit. I always default to doing things with maths. Yeah, so that's like good. like the the thing that everybody had when the new iPhone sizes came in, 
where everybody had to suddenly change their the width of their you know mm. s- their preset widths from three twenty to something you know, else. Something else. Um, I never had that problem. I did a, I did a search from in my code for that, and it didn't exist. Oh, nice! Because everywhere you're just using because width I was using you know half variables width, and stuff. Width. And I've always I've just always kind of yeah. defaulted to that. I've so I, and so I do things like you know check if an API exists or check if a class is set or check if this is available. Very good defensive programming. Yeah, as opposed to, I I think it's the web the web programmer in me, right? Right. Because yeah. I'm so used you can to never having rely to, on browsers having the same features. Yeah, or or being able to detect what browser you're in in the first place. Yeah, yeah. And so I kind of naturally go towards the uh, Fe- feature, feature detection yeah. as opposed to the OS detection. Yeah. Nice. We're way off topic. We had some other uh, follow-up <coughs> in regards to today extensions. Yeah. So, firstly, I just wanted to say how um, I'm now completely satisfied. Uh, I think last episode I was ranting, and I said in the end I would be happy if I just convinced one person on the internet. Um, and, and you did, and I did. So, thank you to the person that tweeted at me to say that um, <laughs> I'd convinced you. You made my day. But subsequently, drafts is now back in the App Store with a today extension. Yep, um, with roughly, I, I think they did change the today extension right. a little so bit. So when I saw that they came back, I thought, "Oh no, my whole argument has just come crashing down." Well, your whole argument had come <laughs> crashing. There's been multiple rejections of today extensions that have just come back in the exact same form. Well, hang on. Whoa, there, back up a little bit. Um, so I thought my argument had come crashing down because I'm like, I was, I came up with this whole theory of, uh what was permissible in a today extension and and what wasn't. And I thought I understood it all. And then suddenly Apple like reapproves the app that was rejected. I'm like, hang on, that just destroys my theory. Except it's not in the exact same form. So it looks like um there is a subtle difference to the today extension for drafts. Um in that in the first version, uh the functionality was limited to being able to launch the app and start composing a new draft. Mm-hmm. And in the updated one that was approved they added a summary of today's recent drafts so they added some information about recent recent drafts you'd written today so something that is a little bit potentially maybe making it fit more with that um yeah. so i don't know it, i think i think it's perhaps not as clear cut as i was trying to claim that it was but it feels like apple do have some sort of line of reasoning that they're using and when they get a chance to talk to a developer and say, look, this if you add this sort of thing, then we'll approve you, that's when people are getting back in. So it would be kind of nice if they articulated what, what that line of reasoning is more clearly so that we all know it the first time without having to go I'm, through that process. I'm just sitting here waiting for you to, you to explain pCalc, which came back into the App Store with its Today extension and is exactly the same. Can't explain. And I'm pretty sure there's actually another app. I don't remember what it is. I don't remember which extension it was using. I feel like it might have been using a Today extension and it got rejected or pulled from the App Store and then put back in. Uh, I'm not sure. Yeah, can't explain PKR at all. But there are, like, I, I think that the, the argument that we had last time, I, I, I don't disagree with you that Today extensions probably should be something regarding today. All I'm saying is it's kind of pedantic. Not everybody is seeing it that way. Oh, no. But also, sure. like the 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 topic at large about Apple rejecting apps has extended beyond today extensions into other extensions, not yeah. necessarily related. And I guess my um point, and let's move on from this quite quickly because yes. I don't want to spend a whole another episode. On, but I guess my point is that I don't think Apple's um 
completely random. I think if you step back and and look at the patterns that have emerged, I think that I I thought I recognized a pattern in the today extensions that they were rejecting and the ones that they were approving. And I think you could probably see the same for other other features. I think generally as developers, we do get a fairly good sense of what Apple's expectations are of how we're going to use the platform features. And we generally know when we're pushing the boundaries. And it's frustrating that as a community, we want to push the boundaries and that ends up being rejected. I'm not defending Apple here and saying that like, it would be nice if they were more permissible across the board. All I'm trying to say is um, I don't think it's entirely surprising. Like, It's not like their behavior is completely unpredictable. I kind of feel like there are. But the fact that you feel the need to actually express this and you felt the need to actually get this out in such a, uh, a surprising amount because of the fact that everybody else is talking about this, uh, talking about this topic but not actually touching on the thing that you've yeah. actually been mentioning, yep. I don't think that everybody else is getting the same feeling. Perhaps not. I don't so, know. Yeah. I, I don't know what to say, say other than that. And... I don't necessarily disagree with you, but I don't necessarily agree with you. And Ben, but, I think... But ben, one think, person on the internet did, so I'm ben, happy to move on ben. now. And Ben. Um, yeah, I thought you had a really good point. And that's probably all we need to say. Yep. <laughs> I think that's all the follow-up that we have. Cool. So, previous, we, we mentioned previously about what we, what we did while we were on break. Yes. I wanted to actually talk about that today. Because I, to, I wanted to know, um, like that sort of, like the sort of... Uh, answer to a, kind of the question of what do you do when you need to step away from your you know your day to day work if that's an app or whatever do you like do you do you tend to do any sort of um, I know a lot of people when they're on holidays they just are on holidays but do you ever spend your holidays working on something else I did a good one this year yeah that um turned out quite well I bought Emma my wife some tickets to a musical for christmas yeah and i didn't know how to like present them as a gift because it was just like a literally a receipt i didn't have any physical ticket or anything i just had a receipt to say hey i bought some tickets and so i made an app that was a little present it was made in sprite kit it was a little present that had a bow on the front and it was snowing turns out there's a free snow effect in sprite kit which was awesome nice Um, and it it didn't open until Christmas Day, and so on Christmas Day, the bow started pulsing, and you tap the bow, and it sort of like animated out, and the present opened up. Well, hang and on, I so just if had she, stuck if a, she like, launched this app prior to Christmas Day, it just wouldn't do anything. It'd be like a picture of a present that wouldn't do anything. It was a picture of a present that said, you can't open this until Christmas, and it oh, nice. was snowing, and there was jingle bells playing. Yeah. Nice. And then on Christmas when she tapped it? Yeah, and so then on Christmas Day, it was like different, and it was pulsing, and then it opened up, and there was a picture of Billy Elliot which is the music we're going to, and like a little line that said, that's all the sap does. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. Uh, that's so sweet. And Turns I'm out s- it was like super popular though. She's like showing it to all her friends before Christmas going, I like keep tapping and nothing happens. <laughs> so, <laughs> it, was good. it was like highly effective. I think the present, like the presentation was more exciting than the actual present. Than in the, the actual end. present. Mm. I've got a couple of questions about this. Um, firstly, I'm really yeah. glad that you got the whole like date, time, time zone thing right, that it actually did open on Christmas Day. Oh, well, day. okay. Awesome, good so work. I didn't. <laughs> I didn't because... No, wait, wait. I didn't stuff it up, though. I was really worried 
Emma changes her time a lot on her phone because she plays right. Candy Crush oh. Runs Out of Lives and then jumps the clock forward three hours. See, I was good, that was going to be my next question. I was going to be like, what if she just adjusted her clock? So, so I've stuck a little thing on my server just to say Christmas, yes, Christmas, no. Oh, and nice, like on nice. Christmas morning, just changed it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, good. So if she'd known how to use like Charles debugging proxy to rewrite <laughs> responses I was pretty from network services, that wasn't going to happen. <laughs> I did tell her. She was like, can I like do some trick and hack it somehow? And I was like, yes, you could. I'm not going to tell you how though. <laughs> so yeah. Lovely. Nice. I think that's the best side project ever. That is a pretty good side project. It, only, it took me more time in Photoshop, like, you know, trying to use Photoshop because I'm not a designer. But it was good. It took me mm. a couple of hours and it got a good result. So I was quite happy with it. Nice. Cool. What about you, Jake? What did you work on during during your breaks? Um, I tried not to work. Yeah, but this is the thing. I'm not asking you if you're working on client stuff or no, things that are regular. Unfortunately, I did job. do some regular job stuff too. Um, but when I had a bit of downtime, like I'm, I'm interested in programming. Obviously, um, whether I've actually got paid work to do, it's actually nice sometimes to have an opportunity to sit down from the computer and do a bit of programming where, like, I don't have the pressures of having to get stuff done. Yep. Um, so I meant I did manage to find a bit of that time over the holiday period. Um, and have started messing. So I bought a book, Functional Programming with Swift. Oh, Swift cool. Functional Programming. Um, and I'm reading my way through it and just started messing with some of the functional ideas in it. And it's kind of messing with my head. It's weird. Functional Programming is weird. It is honestly. weird. Yeah, I thought that I would had kind of understood a basis to it, but I realize now that, I'm, in fact, there's so much more to it that I just don't get. All right. But uh, yeah, so that was partly something I messed with, um, some functional stuff. See, I, I, I didn't by by accident. I meant to actually work on GIF wrapped over the break because you know it's technically not my regular day job, but it is kind of my biggest side hustle other yeah. than other than this show, which you know I kind of alternate between the two. You mean during well, the regular? Hang on, year. we're not getting paid for this. Well, this show. We don't. This is not like our day jobs. I thought. Oh no! But on. But like during the year, right? This is like I. I after hours yeah. on a week to week basis, I essentially alternate between this show and yeah. Give Wrapped. Yeah. Cool. So Give Wrapped and take kind of this show is like is kind of a major thing in in my regular day to day life, mm. right? Um. So. By quite by accident, I kind of I got sick over the holidays, and so I just needed something kind of comfort, like something that I could just kind of uh, do without too much thinking. Yeah, and so I decided that I wasn't going to open Xcode at all, and I worked on some PHP stuff instead. Cool, because PHP for me is, is cool. comfort, it's and I don't have to think about it. It's nice. I think as always, I always have um when I'm in different moods. There are times when I'm. I can sit down in front of my work and tackle the next major thing that needs doing. Yeah. And then there are other times where I just don't feel up to it. No. And there's a whole heap of things I do when I'm in that mood. Like um, at the moment I'm working on something with some backend stuff and sometimes I might feel like, you know what, I can't really get into the depths of this UI code at the moment. I'm just going to do a little bit of one of the backend scripts. Or other times like I'll pick a fun feature that does have some interesting user interface stuff going on yep. where you can visibly see results straight away where if i feel like i want to 
you know, have a sense of making progress and being able to do something that's visible. Yeah, doing something cool that you can kind of get satisfaction from. Yeah, exactly. Mm. And then then I feel like I'm a bit more recharged, ready to tackle the thing that I know needs doing that is just going to be like a bit of slog work. Yep. Um, other times I kind of like refactoring. Like it's sometimes nice to sit down with the code base and know that I'm going to spend a few hours and at the end it won't do anything else that it doesn't already do. You just, yeah. But it would just be like cleaning a nicer state. Yeah, just tidying up. It's kind of like doing spring cleaning, really, Mm. on your code. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. I'm really bad at refactoring. Like, I've never got into it. I see it in my head as the penalty for not doing it right the first time. (laughs) And so it's like a punishment. And that's the wrong opinion. And I just can't change my mindset about it. It's like something I really need to work on. Yeah. So the times I've gotten into refactoring is when I'm like, preparing a code base for someone else's eyes like if i'm preparing to hand it over to a client who are then going to maintain it or if i'm preparing to open source it Mm. or yeah i do the same um, thing even if i'm preparing to get it into a state where i can commit it so that someone i'm working with ben might see it (laughs) i think i'm an idiot (laughs) it's like so in my local copy all sorts of horribleness and then i'm like okay i can't commit this i just can't it'll be evident it works really good it works perfectly fine but don't don't commit and I you read your like code and it's like really good compared to mine because you put comments in <laughs> and I'm just like rushing to the deadline going, gotta oh, get see, this I going, comments screw comments. <laughs> I, I, I comment everything um, all the time. Uh, I confession, too much. the comments are for my own sake because I, my brain is not capable of thinking through the complexities of even a simple algorithm. So I just write it in comments first and go, okay, first I'm going to do this, then I'm going to do that, then I'm going to yeah. do this. Oh, that's Look, good. that's fair. I'm of the opinion that too many comments are also bad as not enough comments because it makes it harder to read. And also I like the thing where I never thought of when I was like a junior getting into this, but comments are always out of date. Yeah. Like you change the line of code and no one bothers updating the comment. I, I have this is so funny. I have some comments where I've copied and pasted and I've changed the code and the comment is reflective of some other line of code from some other point. Exactly. Just, yeah. This is really funny because I think you both realize that I'm perhaps someone that has strong opinions and Argues them with a bit of passion from you? time to time. No. Mm. I may have almost come to blows with a former colleague about whether or not comments in code were good or not. And I realize now I've probably completely changed my point of view. <laughs> so, <laughs> so what was it apologize. and what is it now? Uh, so he, he, the colleague I was having a quite heated debate with back in the day uh, was arguing that you should not have comments in code at all. Um, so he was probably very extreme down the, the point of view that the Good self-documenting code. self-documenting code. So the code is unambiguous. It does what it does. So if you write code that is easy to read, you can understand what it actually does because it does what it does, and if it's easy to read, you can understand it. Yep. Whereas comments, one, you're more likely to need them if the code's hard to read. If you've done something so, you think is really clever, but it's actually just probably. You know, yeah, stupid. Like, so if you've written code that's difficult to sure. read, you can like yeah. paper over that by writing a comment saying, I know that you can't read the code, but trust me, this is what it does. Um, so his kind of argument would be, we'll just write the code so it's easy to read. Um, but also that this point that um, people will fix a bug in the code, but forget to change the comment. Mm. Um, and so that the comment will say, you know, the intention of this code is blah, but actually the code might not do that anymore because it's subsequently changed. So he's kind of like, and, I completely, like, yeah, I've changed my point of view because the number of times I've come in and I've um, 
realized that my comments are so out of date. So I I have actually pulled back on how much I write them, but I still do because I use them a bit of a. Well, that's the thing, right? That's a very extreme point of view that that you're you're explaining there. Like this idea that code should be completely self documenting is not necessarily always true. Uh, especially when you're talking about something that you might be open sourcing or, uh, or is like, your future self doesn't necessarily always understand code in the same way that you do. I think having mm. comments in there, especially if it is, if it could be unclear, mm. uh, is not necessarily a bad thing, but commenting, doing comments like, uh, I'm setting this thing to equal this other thing, and then doing the line of code is kind of useless, yeah. right? So I, I think that the kind of more mature me has come to a kind of pragmatic middle of the road position. Where I I'm think, like, yeah, you know, some comments are all right, but I'm also willing to acknowledge that there's a lot of times where code might differ from the comments, so yeah. don't rely on them too much. Um, I, how about things like like doc blocks or like you know method uh, method comments where you're explaining what happens when I like those. Oh, I like those as well because yeah. I think they're also good for um I f- I find if I write the documentation first it helps me think more clearly about yeah. what the API for that yeah. like what the external API for my class should be how do I want people to think of it when they approach it yeah and it also lets me think about like preconditions and postconditions and constraints for like you know you write a method that takes a integer is it you know should it always be positive? Should it be have a minimum or a maximum yeah. value? Or you know, and if you put some of that in the documentation block, then mm. you can then, when you go to write them in implementation, start off by going, okay, I should check that the that it is within these bounds I've set. And I suppose it's kind of like test driven development. People would write tests first to test for all of those, and then go and implement it. So it passes yeah. the tests. Well, I mean, I've, I think I've mentioned before that I like to write my documentation first when I'm doing mm. some sort of open source or API level yeah. type of thing. I like to write my documentation first so I can think about what the class or what the methods yeah. are going to look like. My, so the the one time I get into problems doing that is I tend to write, like I do exactly that. I'm thinking, okay, I'm going to write this class and the responsibility for this class is to, I don't know, go and get some data that the UI layer is going to need. And, and then you change your mind? Well, no, then I, I tend to write the documentation and as if the class is going to be synchronous because that's just simple. Yeah. Like, Okay, this method's going to return a list of these things, and then it ends up being asynchronous. And then, yeah, it ends up in, inevitably it's asynchronous because yep. all of the places I'm going to get the things are asynchronous. And then I'm like, okay, so I've actually now got to completely change the signature of my class See, I, and the documentation. I don't, for it. I don't run into that because I, I, if I'm, I'm usually thinking like part you, of you my think thinking through. <laughs> part of my thinking through is is thinking whether or not this needs to be asynchronous yeah. or not. Yeah. I'm getting and better at that. But. Sometimes it needs to be asynchronous, and sometimes it doesn't. Yeah. Like uh, I, I, and I usually, I usually figure this out in in advance. Mm. Um, but I mean, that's that's kind of going off topic. Um, but, but I, do, I, I think like this idea of of doing doing work, like not work, isn't really the right word, but doing like code and and working on solution, like solutions to problems um, that are kind of almost uh like puzzles or mind like brain teasers or, or yeah. whatever I, I i like that sort of stuff during while i'm while i'm on holidays or while mm. i have downtime mm. i i'm sure like i feel incredibly blessed that um what i get to do all the time for to earn a living is yeah. something that i enjoy so much and i would want to do even if i couldn't earn a living from it so it's kind of weird that like i 
finally get some time where I'm not having to work and, and I do an activity which is almost the same as what I would do for when yeah. I'm being paid. Well, I mean, part part of what I worked on, like over over the my break, I mean, I mentioned I do was doing PHP work. It's kind of in relation to this podcast, but it's not really. Um, but part of it was to do some work on a PHP framework that I've been kind of building over the years. Cool. And just, you know, just kind of working through low-level problems because I I believe I've mentioned previously that I like working on, like, low-level things and learning how things work by re-implementing them in certain ways. I like that too. And I've got, I've got a PHP framework and I've got a PHP MySQL uh, wrapper that I just kind of am slowly over time just building and adjusting and I don't expect anybody to use it. It is, it is out there. It's on GitHub and people can... Look at it if they want to. I'm not going to link it in the show notes because it's not it's not really related. But the idea of the idea of spending time on that and uh, and improving that and learning about like how I should be doing things differently. People say don't reinvent the wheel, um, and you know you you should kind of think about reusing other people's implementations of this and learning from other people's mistakes by using you know uh, you know well supported frameworks. And I think that's I think that's true in a lot of situations like. I wouldn't rewrite AF networking and I wouldn't rewrite Hanik, right? But because they are excellent implementations of what they do and uh, I don't necessarily need or want to know how they work underneath. I, I have an understanding because I've hmm. peeked under the hood. They're open source after all. Um, but I'm not going to rewrite my own class for that uh, to do the same job as that. But I will rewrite you know, some low-level stuff, things that I use regularly, things that are simple so that I can kind of wrap my head around them. Yeah, I can I can see the appeal, but um, I don't know. I think I'm more often interested in the thing that I'm building and how to get the next feature in there mm. rather than the detail, implementation details of a component of it, except that, like, I, I, I do get the appeal. Um, One of the things... That was interesting. Obviously, I mentioned I'm doing a bit of Swift lately. Um, really? Yeah. No. It's missing um, <laughs> a bunch of stuff that might exist in other languages and APIs, like um, collection types, like queue and stack and yep. set and things oh, like yeah. that. Um, and so, I, you know, I contemplated writing a queue implementation in Swift Um because I needed one, and because it kind of felt like a fun exercise, right? I'm yeah. like, how would you write a queue? I had going back to like computer science and thinking about data structures, yeah. and um, very unique. And then, and then I just used like I think I may have used NS queue or uh, NS operation queue. I think I ended up using, um, which is a, it's not very Swifty. It's you? not very Swifty, but you know, like I had a half a thought. I'm going to write a pure Swift queue. Uh, no, I'm not. <laughs> I'm just going to use but one see, that I that that would be entirely the the what I would do. I would find um I would find an open source implementation of a queue that was maybe in another language that I had some idea of how to like write. Like C sharp, because there's an open source .NET's been open sure. source now. So I did actually uh, look at the .NET queue. Or I will or oh, I will cool. use um I'll use like a, a tool like I have a, a tool called Code Runner that I, I keep on my on my machine. Um so if you remember way, way back in an episode previously, I rewrote uh, uh, what's the class? A URL PHP URL no, a thing? string. Like it, you go through the characters in a string, and it's a really fast way of uh of parsing a string. Okay. Um, and you go it through it by character by character. And a scanner maybe. Oh yeah. 
Um, yep. So it's basically you provide a string, you give it a thing, you, you like, and then you can step through really, really quickly through a string to mm. you know basically parse bits of it, and it's kind of like using a regular expression. Which, to be fair, I do love reg- regular expressions, and I very rarely use an NS scanner. But I wanted to learn how it worked, so I basically plugged some basic code into Code Runner, which is just a it's just a like an a place it's kind of like playgrounds actually where yeah. you can stick a bit of code in and then run and it'll give you a console like yeah. output um so you can basically give it some basic i gave it some basic strings and stepped through them and learned how it did the, you know what happened if what happens if i set this preference or this you know flag or mm. run this function and and basically like backwards engineered my own implementation of that based on how it worked and and it works it works pretty much the same and so I that's kind of what I would do. Yeah. For just to kind of a, a brain teaser because it means that not necessarily like I'm not necessarily ever going to use uh scanner, which is the name of the class that I'm that I've got sitting there, which is still obviously something that I have and the source is online. Um but the kind of the techniques and the things that I learned from building mm. that and from doing that I'm going to use in other places Hmm. and it makes me a better developer overall, which I think is a win-win. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I always used to do linked lists. I don't know why. I always liked linked list. It was a like fun thing to implement. Yeah. Same thing. It's just cool to like get on the low level and see how things work. It's like taking your car apart or something. I'm sure you drive it every day, but why does it work like that? Yeah. I I would never take it apart because I, I wouldn't think, be able to get it back yeah together. exactly I was, I was thinking I, I don't <laughs> think I could do that but I do know what you're talking about I know where to put the oil and I that's I know how good to, man yeah I'm, a lot do of you know how to change it. the oil yeah I've, I've oh, changed the oil before you're pretty covered wow. you're better than probably yeah than what, me like 95% <laughs> I don't know, how I don't to know. My, my car's colour code I've replaced when, when you open the before. when you open the bonnet in my car there are like I think I think the things I'm allowed to touch are blue, and it's like <laughs> wiper fluid. Oil is usually yellow. I yeah, think. I don't know. Yeah, that's about it. it wiper is. fluid. Don't I know how to like. change the wiper fluid. I do. I know how to change wiper fluid as well. I I also know how to uh, change radiator fluid because I've done that so many times. That's um, good too. Yeah. You're all over I, it. You're practically a mechanic. <laughs> <laughs> I've changed the headlight. Um, I've, I've changed. I did well. that I've once. Changed the yeah. brake, I bought I've the wrong headlight. Light. Oh dear! I bought like I got to the shop and said, "Oh, I can't remember if it was left or right because you had to buy like the whole headlight for this car." Oh right, you couldn't. Just oh, buy wow. the wrong, I bought the wrong one. Oh dang! But anyway, that's that's, that's not fun. Um, yeah, I don't think I would want to take my car apart. I don't like. I might, I might be able to know where to put certain fluids and things, but I don't think I. Uh, I don't think I want to be actually messing with pieces. Actually, I've changed the radiator belt. I think no, uh, like a you know the thingy belt. The fan belt, fan belt yeah. yeah, yeah. I've done a few things. I've had a, I've had terrible cars in my my previous lives. Yeah, same. That's what I learned. I had a rubbish car that would break down almost every week, and I slowly replaced every part as they broke until one day, it, like magically, never broke down again. Because it was nice. a, it was a completely new car. <laughs> it pretty much what, was. So is that what you guys now want to do with operating systems? Like you're going to replace NS Scanner with your scanner? Oh no, my and, scanner is written in PHP. Yeah, yeah, there's no, there's it's no way. Replace. But wouldn't it be kind of fun to just replace every single component of your OS with your own implementation of it until you're running? That would be purely cool. your own. Code. Write your own OS. 
would be kind of cool. theoretical. But I, I just like, I don't know. I get, I get the kind of the desire to you know write something new, and I just decide to spend a few hours and mm. and pull it apart, and uh, and figure out how it works, and you know, essentially build my own implementation of it. So it's it's kind of less like taking a car apart and putting it back together, and then as uh, and more like just making looking a new at car. looking at my car and building like a a, a wheel, a, a, like a go kart or something. Yeah, a wheel. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. reinventing the wheel, as they say. Uh, uh, maybe. Oh, well done. <laughs> they might say that. Um, uh, so speaking of PHP, I found something I can't do in Swift. Really, that's good. Let's talk about that. But Swift is a magical language that doesn't. I've- I've written. Have any problems? I wrote some Objective C. You wrote some what? Whoa. What? <laughs> there is no way to do UI appearance, appearance when contained in, in Swift. Really? 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 Why? I don't know. I was hoping you could tell me, Ben, because you've looked into the internals. So in Objective C, the API is a, a static method on the UI appearance class. So it's yep. UI, UI appearance, appearance when contained in. And the parameter you pass it is a class object. So you go say... Or multiple class objects, I believe. Yeah. So you get the appearance proxy for, um, say, a search bar, for example. And then you say appearance when contained in a toolbar. Um, and then you customize that. Yep. Uh, there is no Swift equivalent. equivalent. So you can use UI appearance in Swift but you can't use appearance when contained in. Wow. So I wanted to customize a search bar, but only when it was contained in certain something. No, I, I wanted to customize a text field only when it was contained in a search bar. I'm fairly certain you can't do that, but sure. You can. Can you? Yeah. I've tried it. I've, I've, I've always failed. UI appearance, appearance when contained in. I've done that. <laughs> Works. I did it uh, in Objective-C, and so I changed the background color of my text field to clear. Maybe it's the problem. The or, problem is, is that I'm using the wrong search field type or something. I don't know. Anyway, doesn't really matter. Yeah, I failed every time I've done it. I've always had problems like customizing a search search field. I will post a little snippet of code of what I'm doing in Objective C. Uh, but it was like one line of Objective C, and it's in its own class because you know. And I call and I call it from Swift. <laughs> so now in my it's an entire class dedicated to allowing you to put an appearance. Yep. <laughs> I now have an Objective C appearance manager, and in my Swift app delegate, I call into my Objective C appearance manager and say, "Customize appearance." And if you, add, yeah, so you can basically put any additional stuff in there that I need yeah, to. Yeah. And at the moment, it's got one line. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but I thought it was interesting because this is literally the first time I've run into, run into something like, that you can't a do. Cocoa API that cannot be called from Swift. So why can't it be called from Swift? That's really odd. Like, I don't know. Is there, is there no like? Because they have, don't they have like uh, special header files that are for uh, bridging? Bridging. Yep. And if and you look at the documentation in... for UI appearance, yeah, uh, there is no Swift documentation for that method. It's just that method is not uh, available. To maybe Swift. they haven't got a bridging a bridging header for that. No, no, they've got like the class is available. Um. I think it's probably something to for do a with while. The t- static the methods weren't types. available. Yeah, but static methods are. So I think it's to do yeah. with the parameter types. It might be because it's um a parameter that is one of those nil terminated lists, arg where list? it can be one or more, yeah, an yeah, arg list arg. of classes. Maybe you can't construct yeah. a list of classes. Maybe the problem. Maybe the problem is is that classes in Swift are not the same as classes in Objective C, and so therefore it has issues or something i have no idea but if anyone does know why that method cannot be called from swift i'd be really interested 
Um, but same. Yeah. I want to find out now. Maybe this is something you can do what, next time you're on break is figure out why this is the case. Mm-hmm. But then by then, Swift will have either re- fixed that problem or it will be gone. So. Yeah. Or, or Swift will be gone. Yeah. <laughs> so there was an interesting discussion on uh, the latest core intuition about that. Oh, there's, everybody's discussing that at the moment. Are they? Yeah, yeah, I'm pretty sure they discussed it on ATP as well. Prompted, yeah, by the... That's Swift's going to go. I haven't yeah. heard this. I, What's just, the, like, I, main I point? Whether or not it's, uh, whether or not it's, uh, it's like, viable for, for the, the long-term term. thing. Yeah. Uh, so listen to Core Intuition, because I think this is where the yeah, it discussion is, it is where it came from. from. Um, and I think it's um, Daniel Jackart's opinion, concern, maybe, that Apple does have a track record of sometimes uh, right. promoting a technology and then deciding that then that's not the way to go. Mm. And he thinks... Garbage collection? A, yeah, yeah, that was one that was, that was one of the. There's a bunch examples. of others, and so he kind of feels like this is a potential where there could be, like, say, there was some sort of political situation in Apple where some in, people in positions of power change, and someone that comes to the a technology leadership uh, role says, "I don't like Swift," then they could yeah, potentially waste pull time. it because because they're not too like they don't have too much Swift code yet. They're not too committed to it internally. Um, that yeah. You know, it's not the point of past the point of no return for Apple. Um, hence, they might, you know, backtrack. And um, I guess that's a risk. I kind of feel like they're pretty past the point of no return with the external developer community. And if they did backtrack, that would, you know, there would be an uproar. It's not. Just I think there would be an uproar. I don't necessarily yeah. think that. I don't necessarily think that they could could not pull it. That that doesn't make any sense. I don't necessarily think there is uh that they've passed the point of no return on being able to pull it, whether or not like it's internally or, uh, or you know having to you know rewrite this the stuff that they've re- written internally to support it that's based on Swift. Yeah. Uh, I very much doubt that they're past the point of no return on that. But as far as uh developer kind of. Goodwill. goodwill yeah i think they probably would, passed the there point. would not be much left if they were to yeah, say like, oh you given, know swift stuff we told you given on. all the all of the problems that they've had recently i yeah. think yeah if they pulled it they probably would like but i guess this is yeah. where daniel's coming from is depends how long your memory is apple has had plenty of times in the past where they've burnt developer goodwill by this sort of thing yeah um so you know I, i'm not worried i'm still i'm still interested in swift and still writing it and uh and that's fine. Like at the end of the day, I think Swift is probably here to stay. And even if it doesn't, I think the developer interest in it is enough that it would probably get like people would probably take take up the mantle and write some sort of implementation of their own. Yeah, potentially. I, I would. I have to say, I would feel a whole lot better about it if Apple open sourced it and it was available on, like, the server side, for example. Um, yeah. You know, like it feels like. Potentially, this is a language that could have a whole heap of people interested in using it, and lots could be built on top of it. But at the moment, it's really limited to, you know, the desktop Mac and iOS. Um, I don't know that that's going to change, but who knows? Mm. It's kind of interested as to whether or not. Uh, so, two technologies: iCloud, as in the service, um, and Swift. Whether you could actually build something. That was like a web app using those two. How how web so it, facing is iCloud these days? I know that they not, have the ability to. Well, I, I I know they have the ability, for instance, to have 
uh, like iCloud photo links now. You can share a photo. I think maybe some other things can be linked to. So this was just a thought exercise. I would not bother wasting time writing code. But hypothetically, if I did a Mac app right. in Swift yeah. that used iCloud, I could write like potentially a command line Mac app to read and write data from iCloud. Yep. And then potentially I could call that from PHP or um, I'm not going to write PHP personally, but, you know, we're in a hypothetical world here. Web technology of your choice. I well, could potentially write Swift code that listens to connections on port 80 and yeah. then... I mean, you'd have, you'd have Swift to write in the cloud Trump. or whatever. There's Swift there in not. the cloud. Have you guys heard of that? Someone wrote no, a thing where you can like try cool. out Swift in your browser. Right. Oh, so really? That's probably And it's the same theory thing. as what you're talking about. He just pumps yep. the text through to another process running the Swift yeah. compiler. So it's hypothetically possible, right? But it's just not practical because who's going to who has a Mac with a persistent network connection that you can host stuff on? Like uh, everybody who has a Mac hosted on something like Mac Mini Colo. Yeah, which is like 0.1 of 1% of all of the servers on the internet. Like yeah, generally if you're running code, it could be done. <laughs> yeah, could be. And I have a I mean I have a I have a server like a Mac Mini which is currently out of commission, but I when it's when it is in commission, I use I use it as a as a media server and yeah. it has previously had a web server on it. Yeah. That so you could. I'm just running PHP on and surfing files. I used to use it to manage things like legal torrents. Oh, they're, they're <laughs> of course. <laughs> yes, they were um, totally legal. Mm, mm. Sharing yeah, files to... with your friends online is the way yes. to do yes. it. Yes. Yep. Yes. Yeah. So it's interesting that um, we're just speculating about what would hypothetically be possible. It would be really nice if this was actually, like, if it was supported, right? If there was an iCloud um, API for web, like, server-side software. Honestly. Not just for desktop. And yep. Swift was a language you could use on the server. If Swift was a legitimate server language, and to be fair, like to be fair, all that really is holding it back is the the ability to uh, listen to stuff on port eighty in a in an easy easy way that kind of like that sort of a framework thing. But if it was a server language, I'd probably be more likely to pick it up sooner because I could replace everything with I, it. I don't think the thing holding back Swift from a being a service language is the ability to listen on port 80. No, but I think it's the ability it t- to run it on a non-Mac OS. I think that that's all that it would take is the ability is a, is something is I, something for listening to to ports and doing that sort no, of No, I, I disagree. Of, I don't think people would adopt it if you had to use a Mac to host it. Maybe like they I, wouldn't adopt it, but that's the only thing that is required in order to do that and make sure. it actually feasible. I'm not talking about whether or not it's actually whether or not it's going to take you know is going to suddenly replace all of the languages in the known universe. Yeah, I'm just but, saying the only thing that w- is stopping it from being a legitimate server side language is the ability to listen to something on a on a network port and re- do res- responses and stuff like that on an and making it that easy. Yeah. Everything else, like putting it on another platform and doing all that sort yeah, of stuff, sure. is really just kind of the is additional. Because once you have that framework, tech and the language goes like expands. Technically, that would be feasible on other platforms as well. Like they're going to need that just as much to make it a feasible language. I guess it depends on your definition of feasible. To me, like something like Node, for example, the thing that makes that an appealing language for me for server side development isn't that um, it's really 
easy to spin up a process that's listening to connections on board 80. It's that heaps of people use it for that purpose. And yep. it's got an incredibly vibrant community of third-party you know, modules that that have a heap of functionality. Sure. And I don't think you get that second part without being able to deploy it flexibly, like being able to have it running on... You're, talk- you're talking to a person who uses PHP and doesn't actually use any sort of community supplied code code with very very few exceptions like yeah like node is i don't have my own markdown thing i use somebody else's markdown implementation for so node is really interesting the the thing that you get in the kind of say you wanted to take that approach to node right and use no third hardly any third party stuff yeah the what you get for the the bare bones node is not a lot it's like you know an event-based yeah way of writing javascript functions that'll listen to port 80 and then do stuff but um what people have the 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 thing about node is that it what people have written on top of it uh, are the is what makes it actually useful yeah node package manager and the the huge number of node packages out there and you know and so you can very quickly go from with very few lines of your own code have quite a fully featured yeah application um yeah yeah so it's kind of like to to me I'd love to see Swift sort of in that area potentially but I don't think it would there would be the community unless you could host it on yeah. things like Linux I I have trouble I have trouble with third party dependencies but we will get into that next time hmm. when we talk about software as a service eventually we we will get to it. We've been we've been putting it off for like three episodes now. Maybe we could um we could ask for listener feedback on this. If uh, yeah. we're planning on talking about back end software next time, um, yep. let us know what you'd like to hear about. What your thoughts are? What do you use for the services that your mobile apps talk to? Um, how do you develop them? And what technologies? And yeah, I'd be interested so that we can then discuss them hmm. alongside of all of the other things that we had planned on discussing with that episode which will probably be the next episode assuming that we something doesn't happen and somebody doesn't want to have a rant about it <laughs> who would want to rant about anything <laughs> speaking of ranting where is my apple watch it's early 2015 it's yeah you, it is very you early you don't understand apples like when they say like it's coming out in fall they always release in like november the end of American fall. So early 2015 is basically any time up until a day before the middle of the year. <laughs> I, I reckon yes. <laughs> so, right. The week before Dub Dub, we will have an app. We'll have an Apple Watch. That can be. That can be guaranteed. Fantastic! I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> if you would like to read any of the things that we have talked about today, you can do that. Jump onto our website. The show notes will send you to the correct places. The show notes are available at mobilecouch.co forward slash 48. And, uh, yeah, there's lots of links there, I'm sure. I don't know. I haven't actually put them together yet, so we'll see. If you would like to get in touch with us, you can do that as well. Uh, Send us an email. Uh, Our email address is hello at mobilecouch. Or you can jump onto our website again and go to mobilecouch.co forward slash contact and uh, send us an email from there. Now, if you would like to get in touch with Jake specifically, 
<laughs> and tell him that he was right or wrong or anything. You can do that. Uh, he goes on Twitter. That is J McMullen. J M A C M U L L I N. Ben is also on Twitter. That's B E N T R E N G R O V E. Ben Drangrove. And I am on Twitter as Jelly Bean Soup. Thank you, everybody, for listening. I hope you had a great holiday season, if that is what you had over this past few weeks. And uh, regardless, I hope I hope you had a great last couple of weeks. Until next time, we will we'll talk to you then. Bye. Bye. Bye.